Amazing. So uh, Pedro is my guest, Gonzalez. He's a journalist and assistant editor for American Greatness. And I wanted to talk to Pedro a few minutes about men and about all this phony idea of racism and what's really going on in our country. Uh, Pedro, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Jesse. And so tell me a, a little bit about you and, and what you do with American greatness. Um, you're the, I know you're the assistant editor over there. What's the purpose of it? So I, you're, you're, you've already said that I'm a journalist. That's right. And I also do copy editing for American greatness. And the purpose of the magazine is to be a kind of new voice for the right. Uh, there's a lot of stale opinions, a lot of stale views that you'll read in publications like National Review and other conservative outlets that have been around for a long time, but they've been saying the same things. And so AG kind of uh, emerged in 2016 to give a new voice to a, a new right-wing movement. How's it going? I think it's going pretty well. Uh, the, the, we've grown a lot. Uh, I've been doing a lot more, not just writing, but also a lot more interviews. So it seems like things are going pretty well. And it seems like we're saying things that people are finding interesting. We're saying things that other people aren't saying. And it seems like we're saying things that a lot of people are thinking, but are not ready to say aloud just yet. And are you a right winger, whatever they call that? Uh Yes, but I actually try to not use, uh, to identify myself as a, a right or left or conservative or liberal, because I, I think those terms are, they can kind of box you into a position uh, that maybe is not so wise anymore. So, uh, but, but I mean, we have to use labels, right? We have to say, yeah. so, so I just say, yeah, I'm, I'm a man of the right. And is that bad to be that? I mean, why do we care what others think about that? No, it's not bad. It's just that I think when you say that, like if you say you are a conservative, then there's a kind of, well, then you have to subscribe to these things, right? Like you have to be in favor of free trade. You have to be in favor of uh, a lot legal immigration uh, as opposed to no immigration like I am. Uh, if you say that you're on the right, then there's a kind of assumption that, again, uh, I think there's a lot of overlap between being on the right and conservatism. So if you say you're on the right, people assume those things about you, that you're someone who's in favor of uh, policies that favor uh, the mega corporations in the United States. You're in favor of a ton of defense spending, things like that. And I, I'm not actually in favor of a lot of the things that I think are traditionally associated with the right wing or with the conservative movement. Are you, are you a white guy or Hispanic? I thought, aren't you Hispanic? <clears throat> yeah, I am. I'm uh, Mexican. My, it's my ancestors. And so, and what is it like for you standing up for what is right in America instead of into all the other crap? What has it been like for you? Uh, it's been a mixture of really, really rewarding because, again, I hear from people that I'm saying things that they want to say, but they can't. And also, uh, it's been amusing because I obviously I get attacked pretty regularly uh, for the things that I write, for the things that I say. And what I've found really interesting is that some of the, the harshest criticisms, they don't come from other Latinos, uh, although I do get called like an armchair Aztec or a Tio Thomas, <laughs> Tio Thomas, which is like, you know, Uncle Tom, but Brown. Uh, but it, it's, it's actually from a lot of uh, people that are white and whether they are conservative or liberal, um, 
the harshest criticisms I get are from these people that are white and really, really identify with the the anti-racism movement. You know, it's it's like what I'm saying about uh, about these issues is like a personal attack on them. Yeah, I um, I grew up in Alabama under the Jim Crow laws, right? And mm-hmm. I know what. And and during those days, black people were decent people. They got married. They had families. They worked. They understood that they bought land. They understood that it was a spiritual battle. It had nothing to do with all white people trying to hold down blacks and all that crap. And and for the most part, black people led the way in morality and belief in God. That's all gone now because they have turned their lives over to the government and to the so-called black leaders and all that crap. But I I don't really, not really, I don't care at all one iota what the enemies say about me or what they threaten to take because I realize it's a spiritual battle and they're supposed to try to stop good. So I don't, I don't waste my time thinking about what they say or what they think or what mm-hmm. they you know, I'm, I'm in America. I am an American. I'm not into the African thing and all that crap. And I love my country, so I don't really care because I know that any, evil people are supposed to try to stop those who represent good. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I, I agree. I don't, uh, like I said, I, I find the, the criticisms amusing, but it doesn't really influence anything that I do. Nice. I, I still write what I write. I, I say what I say, and I'm, and I'm, I, I'm never going to stop. Uh, saying and, and, and writing what's on my mind. Uh, because again, this is, like you pointed out, this is part of a bigger picture. This is part of the bigger fight. And, and there are more important things than worrying about being called racist. Yeah. For, for, I mean, if, if you call me a racist, what you're, going, what you're going to get out of me is laughter. Yes, so. that's right. One of the things I noticed that white people have done, they are so afraid of that word racist and mm-hmm. it's been used against them for the last 70 years. And now they are on the run while the blacks and, and others are taking away their land. They're taking their jobs. They're taking their lives. They're making them admit that they're racist just because they're white. And, and that is because white people, not all, not all, not all, are afraid of name calling. And so the enemies have taken them over. And I'm concerned that we're going to have South Africa in America if that doesn't change. Yeah, no, that, this is a real thing that I think a lot of people, frankly, a lot of white people, even if they're, even if they are allies, you know, like your friends and, and peers that are white yeah. and this stuff, I think it kind of makes them uncomfortable because they've internalized so much of this anti-racism stuff that even having these thoughts that maybe the logical conclusion of this is something like South Africa, it makes them really uncomfortable. They don't even want to consider it. And so they kind of choose this blind optimism that everything's going to resolve itself and that that if we just continue down this path of of being kind of religiously devoted to anti-racism that uh things are going to work themselves out and everyone's going to get along and that's just not true year after it seems like things get worse and worse i mean you saw a, a whole summer almost like nine months of rioting basically yep and and you really did see this kind of religious element come out where you had uh, people in communities, uh, white or 
there was basically just a mixture, but mostly white people, uh, literally asking for forgiveness from Black Lives Matter <laughs> organizers, like on their knees praying to BLM organizers for forgiveness. So I think that has kind of helped more than any argument I could make, more than anything I could write. I think that has kind of opened people's eyes, but there still is a, a definitely a kind of fear of of talking about these things, of acknowledging them. I never imagined growing up, I never, not for a second, imagined that one day I would see men bowing down to a bunch of fat, black, radical lesbians like Black Lives Matter. I never, just, I don't know what to do with that. I just never, I knew men no. were afraid of women somewhat, but I didn't know they were that afraid. Some yeah. lesbians. Yeah, yeah, th th it was shocking. It, and it wasn't just, not just men, but police officers. Yeah. FBI agents, National Guardsmen. All, in other words, the, the men who we identify as the protectors, the guardians of a good life, they were among the first people to take a knee and, and to do the opposite of what men are supposed to do, which is to stand against a threat stand up for their civilization and for the things that we still call our way of life. Yeah. And that was really disturbing. And it, it that raises the other question, apart from the anti-racism one, is uh, what is going on with men in this country? What is going on with masculinity? Yeah. Talk about beta. That is beta, 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 beta. beta. <laughs> so speaking of men, this is Manhood Hour. And uh, I say that uh, weak men have allowed the world to uh, allow evil to take over the world because if men are strong, they love what's right, they stand up, they fight back without fear, then evil cannot take over. What do you say? What do you say to that? I think that that is that is correct. Uh, I think that there's been a kind of inversion of values that we we favor the weak man over the strong man. We favor the effeminate man over the masculine man. And, and the people that are telling us what it means to be a man are people that write for publications like the Huffington Post or Salon or these feminist journals. Uh, and, and so that's on the left. But it's not much better if you look on the right. If you look at the people that are telling us what it means to be a man on the right, besides you, Jesse, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> it's, it's people like David French. Yeah. We're, we're getting our masculinity talking points from David French, who is one of these people that would literally bow before the, the, the BLM organizers and, and stuff like that. And, and who David French does not attack anyone more aggressively than Christians and people that are ironically traditional minded men. Yeah. And, and so so I, th I think this is a problem that's not just coming from the left. It's, it's also a, 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 a question that the right doesn't really have an answer to yet. And there are obviously people like you that are working at answering this, but there's just not enough. I, I, I'm glad you brought them up because I noticed that the weakness of conservatives and the Republican Party is like bad. It's awful. Yeah. It's like yeah. they're trying to appease the Democratic Party or something. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats vote in a lot of women, so now the Republican voting in a lot right. of women. Right. The Democrats let the homosexuals in. I mean, the Republicans let the homos the Democrats approve of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, all that crap. Now the Republicans doing the same thing. It's like the Republican Party is losing its way, and yeah. eventually there will be no Republican Party. 
Yeah, the, I mean, this is this is the issue with conservatism, and this is one of the reasons why I don't like to use that term uh, as much as possible. Yeah. And it, the Republican Party is that it basically the the conservative movement and the Republican Party are always just like a few years behind the, the left and the Democrats. So whatever position the Democrats held just recently, once they move on to a more radical position, yeah. Republicans will take that position and say, you know, we'll do what the Democrats are doing five years ago, but we'll do it with fiscal responsibility. And, and that's why you'll see articles like in National Review, the, you know, the most prestigious conservative journal, you'll find articles in there called The Conservative Case for Transgenderism, which was actually an article that they published in 2019, or The Conservative Case for Open Borders. Because it has no real, one, I think, original ideas. There's not really a lot of creativity, which is why you'll see like Ronna McDaniel yesterday, she tweeted about how the GOP improved with minorities and women. It's like, great, your, your <laughs> largest base are white men and you won't even acknowledge that they exist. So, which is basically what the Democratic Party does, except instead of not acknowledging that they exist, they attack them. And now on the other hand, I think it's that the, the conservative movement has a real lack of spine. So it's not just a, a poverty of imagination, it is a real lack of spine that I think, whether they want to admit it or not, comes from a desire to be accepted in kind of polite society. You know, we, we want to keep our foot in that door where we get invited to like the dinner parties in DC and where we get uh, fellowships at all these think tanks and stuff like that. Yeah. And so they, I think it disables the movement. They should have fired that woman right away as soon as she tweeted that out <laughs> because she clearly said her mind is gone. She's not good for the Republican Party. She should be gone. They need to fire her. She's Mitt Romney's niece. Oh, my God. Let her go. That tells play. you a lot. Yeah, it does. Let her go <laughs> play with Mitt, but she need to go. I wanted to ask you this, so I'm going to deviate a little bit. What do your mm -hmm. blood family think about you at this point? How do they treat you? Uh, my immediate family is actually supportive, and I, I think it's because I, I don't press what I think on them. Yes. If me if they ask me a question i'll answer it and i always try to be uh talk to them like i would talk to some uh anybody else in other words just because of my family it doesn't mean that i uh um try to push harder because these are really sensitive issues you know this is this is stuff that your entire life you've been told to think a certain way and now someone's telling you something that is fundamentally different and i think part of that comes from the fact that uh, my family saw me go from a typical California liberal, which is, I was born and raised in California, Amazing. whatever I am <laughs> right now. <clears throat> and, and so I think uh, they've, they've been very curious, you know, well, you know, you've changed your mind so much on so many issues. So tell us about it. And I've been really happy that uh, my mom and my sister, my two immediate family members have actually been really receptive to a lot of this stuff. Uh, and I, but I think it helps uh, that they live in California. So they're kind of living it at the worst possible end of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, you can say that yeah. again. What yeah. brought on the change for you? Uh, I think it was just curiosity. Uh, I I, <clears throat> I just noticed that the people that I was told were the most tolerant ones were actually the most intolerant ones that the, the uh, people that I was told uh, I couldn't read or interact with or even entertain, or some of the most open-minded ones, and and they were never as uh, like abusive to me, 
were asking questions yeah. as as the supposedly very tolerant ones were. And I just couldn't get over this feeling that I was being lied to and that a lot of the preconceived notions I had were incorrect. And so I just kind of followed that and didn't look back. And and that didn't just lead me away from being liberal, progressive. It also led me away from a lot of the positions I initially embraced from conservatism. Um, and, and it kind of showed me that both of these positions are kind of uh, be, beholden to ideas that are not really good for society. Yeah. Like you said, there, there has to be something higher than just the fact that you're a Republican or a Democrat, right? That's right. Amazing. How has American change, America changed uh, due to the weakness of men? I think it has literally resulted in bloodshed. The fact that people are afraid to intervene in rioting because they'll be perceived as racist, which is actually something that Trump's advisors told him. Uh, you had Brooke Rollins, Gerald Smith, and Jared Kushner tell Trump, if you intervene in the rioting and, and, and take a, you know, a hard stance against this, uh, you'll be seen as racist, and that will hurt your chances with minorities. And that actually influenced the administration's policy. Maybe. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons why we've talked about designating Antifa as a terrorist organization. We haven't actually done it, but we've talked about it. But we never talked about doing the same with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Even though BLM is is arguably worse than Antifa in the sense that Antifa is considered fringe, you have uh, Black Lives Matter in the mainstream. Basically, you have both parties openly like Mike Mike Braun, the Republican senator from Utah, uh, who said that he he supports BLM. I think BLM is is much more dangerous for a lot of reasons, but uh, we're terrified of it. You know, even Trump, who, you know, people think of as this kind of like Caesar figure, this lion, even he was afraid of really uh, aggressively tackling this because of um, this this horror of being considered racist. And obviously, it you know, you've seen, we've talked about the people that have kneeled um, from writing. And on the other hand, there, there is a, a real tragedy of this. I think in St. Louis, you, you had this incident where a retired police captain um, went to his friend's pawn shop that was being looted. And, and he had no obligation to go there. He only went there because it was his friend's shop. And he tried to stop looters, and he was shot and killed in the process over some TVs. And he died bleeding out on a sidewalk while someone, well, like, I, I'm assuming it was a looter, uh, live-streamed the guy's final moments without helping him. Yeah. And I, so that, that is the crisis of masculinity in a nutshell. I it, totally it, agree, man. Um, do you think do you think that the president caved in to his advisors and that's why he didn't deem uh, Black Lives Matter a terrorist group? Because they are truly, Antifa is bad, they are a terrorist group, but uh, Black Lives Matter is worse than the KKK, Antifa, and all those groups put together. Um, if, the, if the president had not taken the wrong advice, do you think he would have called them a terrorist group? I think that he would have, well, one, I think that he, unfortunately, and I know that people don't want to hear this, I think he did cave to his advisors. I think that there is, that he was afraid of being perceived as a racist because he was being told in order to win, you have to improve your uh, margins with minorities. Therefore, Trump listened. Um, I think that if he would not have listened, he, he would have uh, taken a more direct approach. Yeah. And we could have done things like, look, if you're uncomfortable with 
deploying the military or something like that, okay, fine. Even though actually it seems like a lot of minorities ironically supported that. Like the majority of Latino Democrats in June said they supported uh, deploying the military to assist police. Latino Democrats, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And in July you had uh, same thing. There you had polls showing that the majority of Latinos and Blacks supported more or the, uh, the same or more police presence in their communities. So, okay, but even if you're terrified of that, at least you could designate BLM as a terrorist organization and then attack its finances. Find out who's funding it. Yeah. And then punish the people that are funding it. Treat them as if they were they were funding like the Taliban or something like that. Or uh, at least freeze the finances because, <clears throat> again, I think if you if you would actually look at who is funding BLM, you would find a lot of really powerful people. Yeah, absolutely. In America today, there's a lot of fear, and fear is driving the public in many ways. The Chinese virus, they're afraid of Black Lives Matter. There are people who are, who are that I personally know who are conservatives, and they were afraid that President Trump would be reelected because mm-hmm. they thought, well, if he's reelected, the Black Lives Matter is going to burn and destroy. And he, I'm like, that's not a reason not to reelect the president. And so people have a lot of fear in America today, which is another surprise to me. How can people overcome that fear? I think that it's going to take a kind of vanguard. It's going to take enough people that are not afraid and that are, are kind of showing that it, it is possible to exist in society without this kind of paralyzing fear to encourage others to follow them. And I, I think that's really the only uh, immediate solution is basically just enough people saying, I'm not afraid, and then encouraging their peers uh, to follow them. Or uh, just the act itself is a, is a kind of propaganda. You know, you, you see your friend who's standing up for themselves and you start to think, well, maybe I can do that too. Yeah. Maybe I also deserve the basic dig- dignity of saying that I'm not a bad person just because I was born white, or I'm not a bad person just because I hold this political view or something like that. Uh, I think that's that's the immediate thing that we can do. I think in the long term, you're going to have to take it to the next level and have politicians who aren't afraid of being called racist for supporting this or that position, who are not afraid to say things that are true but are difficult to say. Uh, but I think that before the political, it, it begins on the cultural level. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, that's amazing, man. You're right. I totally yeah. agree. I want to know if you agree or disagree with me on this. And and if you do, that's fine. In South Africa, the blacks have taken over South Africa. And as a result, white people are being robbed, raped, murdered, killed. They have gotten rid of the police departments. And so the people are not even protected along the roadside. The blacks are going into their homes and, and, and killing them and raping and all kinds of things are happening and they are taking white South African land without compensation. I say that that is happening in America. At first I would say, hey, wake up white folks, it's coming to America, and they're gonna take your land. And now I see that they have uh, positioned these radical black males and females and liberal whites in position where they're gonna bring in reparations and they're gonna take the white man land. Am I wrong? 
I think that we're getting, I think that we are absolutely going in that direction. And again, this makes people really uncomfortable, but it, it's just a fact. And, and I think what's really dangerous is that it's packaged or it's rhetorically delivered in a way that kind of hides what it really is. Yeah. So uh, you have like Republicans will call it capital infusion. It's not reparations, it's capital infusion. <laughs> Or, or, you know, you'll, you'll have uh, in certain states, they have like diversity officers and the entire point of the, of the diversity officer in the government is to basically make the government less white. In, in other words, to assign people positions of power on the basis of race so long as they are not white. In, uh, in Oregon, I think they, they, passed, they passed a law that would basically make it possible to, um, for the government to basically put homeless people on your property. Yeah. And and yeah. and so, we're, in other words, we're we're kind of laying the groundwork for this, and and we're we're kind of preparing people for it. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. do white people see this coming, or just the two of us? <laughs> I think some, I think some white people do, but they're they're terrified of acknowledging it. Um, but I think that when you look around and you see white people getting on their knees and praying to these BLM organizers. When you see Republicans talking about basically reparations, uh, when you see about uh, when you see people like Marco Rubio talking about systemic racism, I think it, it becomes impossible to ignore what is happening and, and what is basically at this point just a matter of time, unless there is a fundamental change in our culture. That's amazing. So I, I, because of time, man, you are amazing, man. It's an honor to Thank meet you. you. You know, my producer, Nick, he got you on the show, and he was like, Jesse, you're going to love this? You're going to love <laughs> this? He was, like, really pushing for it, and I'm glad I allowed it to happen. It's an honor to meet you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm a big fan, Jesse, so it's really good to be here. Thank you. So I got to ask you my biblical question. Why shouldn't okay. men allow women to take over? Uh, I, I think, I think the the answer to that is they shouldn't allow because that kind of, I mean, doesn't that imply the issue we've been talking about is a kind of preference for the feminine, you know, that women should just take over because they're women. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I agree, but that's what's happening. It's amazing <laughs> to see it. What's your website? How can people reach you? Writing anything you want to give out? Uh, so probably the easiest place to follow me is on Twitter at. E M E R I T I C U S uh, Emeriticus, and if you follow me on Twitter, there's also in my in my bio a link to my newsletter. And whenever I write something or do an interview like this, I will send it out through that newsletter. Nice. And that's E M E what again, real fast? E M E R I T I C U S. Thank you, man. Amazing. And don't forget to like, follow, tweet, subscribe, and share the Jesse Lee Peterson Radio Show folks. We really appreciate it. We are at war. It is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And it's going to take all of us to do it. <laughs>